Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message. Flattery is something that's kind, but not true. It's basically a kind lie. And I've watched over the years as some hit worship songs have been released, and unfortunately, they have some flattering lyrics. And I'm going to explain what I mean, but the issue is that when the church sings these songs, we're essentially singing lies about God to God. And when you put it that way, it's pretty brutal. Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. Worship, prayer, reading your Bible, serving others, and attending church regularly are all practices that we as followers of Christ strive to incorporate into our daily lives. It is through building habits like these that we are able to stay firm in our faith, trust in God, and live the life that He calls us to live. These habits will help us cast aside anxieties of this world so that we might experience more of the peace of heaven. In this series entitled Holy Habits, we'll focus on developing these holy habits for our lives so that we might have a deeper connection with God. Please enjoy the message. probably been years since I've heard that song in church. Anybody else? Oh my goodness. Yeah. <clears throat> Many of you actually may not know the story behind that song, and it's got a little bit of relevance to what we're going to be talking about today. The Heart of Worship was released in 1998, and it was written by a man named Matt Redman, and he was a worship pastor in the UK. And in 1998, his church was growing through a lot of growth, much like we are today at Valley View, and they were bringing in a lot of people in their 20s, and it was just booming. It was a great season. But one day, his lead pastor comes to him and says, Matt, there's something missing in the worship, and I don't know what it is. Can you imagine if Phil came to me and said that? I I wouldn't know what to do. But you know what they did? For three months... They got rid of all the instruments in their worship. Acapella worship for three months. It's a little awkward, if you ask me. Okay? We're not going to do that today or for the next three months. Okay, let me just diffuse that for you real quick. But the purpose of that was to bring his church back to the heart of worship. And that's what we're going to be talking about today today. If you're new here, we've been in a series called Holy Habits, um, talking about if we were to look into the life of a follower of Jesus, what are some of the things that we would see them doing? We talked about reading our Bibles, we talked about prayer, and today we're going to zero in on the topic of worship. Okay, so if you brought your Bible today, you can open up to John chapter 4. We're going to be taking a look at a little snippet of a conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. And this is a long uh, conversation. There's probably about three sermons worth of content in here. I'm only going to give you one today, all right? Um, And so there's a lot of context that I need to catch you up on, so I'm going to do that real quick for you as you're finding your way there. So at this time in Jesus' ministry, they've they've been doing ministry a lot with his disciples in the region of Judea. And now they are leaving that at the time of John 4, and they're traveling through a place called Samaria. Now, Samaritans and Jews have some theological, cultural, and social differences that make their interactions with each other less than pleasant. And so upon arriving outside this Samaritan town of Sychar, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman 
drawing water from the well. And it's here that Jesus engages in, his, in the longest recorded conversation in the Bible. It's where we get Jesus' famous living water statement when he asks the woman for a drink, right? And when Jesus inquires about the woman's husband, she says, she has no husband. And Jesus replies in verse 17 and says, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So this woman clearly struggles with a life of guilt and shame. And earlier in this passage, the text specifies that this conversation takes place at about noon, which seems like a minute detail, but it actually reveals some significant historical context here. You see, the women of the families in that time, they would go to the well early in the day, and they would draw water that would last them the entire day. But this woman was drawing water at the well at noon. See, this was most likely to limit humiliating social interactions with the other women, which she would encounter early in the morning at the well, because the whole town saw her as the woman who only had five husbands. But here was Jesus, a Jew, asking her for a drink. So in an attempt to steer the conversation away from personal matters, her shameful personal life, the woman introduces an unexpected topic, worship. It seems a little unusual, but this is where we pick up today in verses 19. It says this, Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. So one of the first things that we pick up in this passage, and Jesus addresses in verse 21, is the place of worship. Now, up until this point, worship was to be designated to the temple. That is where you absolutely had to go if you wanted to worship. And the place of worship was a point of contention between Jews and Samaritans. So that's why this woman is bringing up this topic of worship. It obviously means something to her. And what Jesus is saying here is that is all about to be done with. Pretty soon, it's not going to matter where you worship. All right, and then the second thing that Jesus addresses in verse 22 is the object of worship. Jesus was addressing the Samaritans' history of worshiping false gods and the biblical God. So he says, you worship what you do not know because they've been worshiping these false gods, but the Jews have the right instruction to worship the Messiah when he comes. So all this brings us to our first worship principle. Worship is about the object, not the place. You know, I think no matter what we actually know, so many of us revert back to this autopilot mindset that says, I can only worship at church on Sunday mornings because it's a part of what we do. This is just what we do. We go to church on Sunday mornings and we worship. But I'll tell you right now that you cannot expect to get spiritually fit if you only spiritually work out once a week. Jesus literally gave us a free pass a get-out-of-jail-free card to worship outside the temple whenever and wherever we may be. Pastor Tony Evans said this, 
If you limit worship to where you are, the minute you leave that place of worship, you will leave your attitude of worship behind like a crumpled up church bulletin. We've got to be active worshipers throughout our weeks. So far, our text has told us where to worship and what to worship, but where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today, this morning, is what Jesus talks about next, how to worship. And so the text continues, starting in verse 23. But an hour is coming, Jesus says, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. Our mission is to offer you hope through Christ-centered biblical preaching. We certainly hope that this broadcast is doing just that for you today. You might not know this, but each of these sermons are recorded live at Valley View Christian Church in the Denver metropolitan area. If you live in the city, we'd love to meet you in person. We offer Sunday services at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. We have programming for children of all ages, dynamic worship, plenty of opportunities to get connected beyond Sundays, outreach initiatives, and much, much more. Do you want to know why we do all that we do? Because so much of our church leadership has had their life changed at a local church. Because it's here that we met Jesus and he changed our lives. And we want Jesus to change your life as well. So attend a service at Valley View Christian Church. We would love to meet you personally. We're located just south of Highlands Ranch off of Highway 85 Santa Fe. You can go to our church's website, valleyviewcc.com, for more information. And again, those Sunday service times are at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. Now let's get back to our program. Now Jesus identifies here what he calls true worshipers. And then he gives two criteria for how to be a true worshiper, spirit and truth. And I'm going to work a little bit backwards from the text today and start with truth. So what is truth? Sounds like a a question we all had to talk about in the philosophy class we had to take in college, the whole subjective versus objective truth thing, right? But no matter what your philosophy professor said, The Bible defines very clearly what truth is. There's actually a couple different uh, different ways the Bible defines truth. And these definitions are going to guide us in how we should view what Jesus said about worshiping in truth. Okay, so one of the ways that Jesus defines truth is Jesus. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus is not just a truth or just truth. He is the truth. Because there is no other way, there is no other hope, and no other life except through Jesus and what he has done. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Another way that the Bible defines truth is the gospel. Paul says in Colossians 1.5, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. And Paul calls the gospel the word of truth here. See, the gospel is the story of Jesus' saving accomplishments through his birth, life, death, 
and resurrection. And it's a word of truth because at some point it was brought to you and it brought you to life. It brought you to the truth, right? Last but not least, another way the Bible defines truth is God's word. Psalm 119 is all about God's word and it says, the entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. See, God's word, it's from God's word that we learn about his character and all he does and has done for his people, okay? So this is what brings us to our second key worship principle today. True worship must exalt Jesus, proclaim the power of the gospel, and be saturated with God's word. Now, this is what I would say are essential requirements, requirements for worshiping in truth. And here at Valley View, you know, we sing a lot of different songs that emphasize different aspects of these things, and that's okay. Like in Christmas time, we like to sing songs about Jesus' birth. That's great. At Easter, we sing songs that emphasize his death and resurrection. Or we've been going through the Psalms this summer, and so if we sing a song that's based in a psalm, it's going to highlight more of God's character. This is all great. So we offer here at Valley View a creatively a variety of different lyrics and styles that worship God and truth. Now, there's no doubt that there are many ways that we get worshiping in truth wrong. So if we get worshiping in truth wrong, then there's no truth. And the opposite of truth is a lie. So I want to warn you with what, in my opinion, is the most common way that we stray from truth in worship. Flattery. Flattery is something that's kind, but not true basically a kind lie. And I've watched over the years as some hit worship songs have been released, and unfortunately, they have some flattering lyrics. And I'm going to explain what I mean. But the issue is that when the church sings these songs, we're essentially singing lies about God to God. And when you put it that way, it's pretty brutal. And then the lies of these lyrics are subtly dismissed under the guise of kindness because it's the kindness of the lyrics that makes us feel good, right? We say it's kind and loving, so it must be true about God, right? Not necessarily. See, flattery is not actually a new issue in worship. In fact, the Israelites in the Old Testament struggled with it as well. In Psalm 78, it says, they remembered that God was their rock the Most High God, their Redeemer. Right? They had pure intentions. They wanted to worship God. What does it say? They flattered him with their mouths, and they lied to him with their tongues. I recently watched a YouTube video, and the premise of this video was that they had two songwriters from a very popular Christian artist group. And they gave these two songwriters the rand, uh, lyrics to random songs. The lyrics were really short, usually a few words, a sentence, or a line. And the two songwriters had to guess whether the lyrics, get this, were from a worship song or a love song. Now, they got most of them right, but they got a few of them wrong. Isn't that crazy? They had a hard time distinguishing the lyrics 
from a secular love song from a worship song for Jesus. Can you see how thin the line gets between truth and flattery? Even further, can you see the importance of why the object of our worship must be Jesus? We all listen to music. We all have our Spotify and Apple Music playlists that we like to listen to. But I want to give you one question that you can apply right now as you leave this place to ask about the worship songs on your playlist that will bring your worship back to the truth. And that's this. Can I defend the lyrics of this song with the truth of Scripture? In other words, if I filter the man-written lyrics of this song through the divine inerrant word of God, what will come out the other side? The result might shock you. So we've established that worship must exalt Jesus, proclaim the power of the gospel, and be saturated with God's word to be truth. But there's another variable in the equation of biblical worship. Jesus also instructs us to worship in spirit. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I know that it has been to others. You see, it is through the generous contributions of people like you that this ministry can thrive and get God's truth out into the world. I recently received a card from someone who said, Thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. They are encouraging and refreshing as we get the opportunity to hear biblically-centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. And that is just one of several notes that we have received of those who appreciate the teaching here at Hope for the Day. If you'd like to become a partner of ours, just go to Valley View Christian Church's website at valleyviewcc.com. It's there that you can click on the Give tab, and then you can designate your gift to go to the Hope for the Day ministry. And we would love it if you would partner with us in this way, and I know many others would as well. If you are in the Denver metropolitan area, we wouldn't want you to just be a supporter of ours. We want you to attend one of our services in person to be a part of the experience that we have here at Valley View Christian Church. We offer three service times on Sunday at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And it's at each one of these services that we record the messages that you hear here on Hope for the Day. Now let's get back to today's broadcast. Now, we might wonder what Jesus means by spirit even more than we wondered what he meant by truth. It's a little vague, right? Well, the meaning of this word spirit in this passage is actually subject to a little bit of debate. Depending on the translation you're reading from this morning, the word spirit in verse 23 could either have a capital S referring to the Holy Spirit or could have a lowercase s referring to an individual spirit. This is because ancient Greek had only one form of each letter. So the capitalization here is a little ambiguous. But the general consensus among scholars and the view that we're going to take today is that this refers to our individual spirits based on the context of this passage. Okay? So we can confidently define spirit as the immaterial part of the inner person that can respond to God. And today we might refer to this as our hearts. Right? If you go through a breakup and say you're heartbroken, Or if we say, you hurt my feelings, we're referring to our spirits, right? It's a part of our being that can respond to a vast range of emotion. But I want to be clear here, if we take this definition, 
Worship in spirit is not done apart from the Holy Spirit. The spirit that worships in spirit is a spirit that's transformed by the Holy Spirit. Whew. Said that five times fast, right? Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 3, believers worship by the Spirit of God. Boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. In other words, when the believer's spirit, which is transformed by the Holy Spirit, is fully engaged in worship, they're worshiping in spirit. See, to worship in spirit is both a conscious decision of the individual and a work of the Holy Spirit. So our third key worship principle today is true worship must originate from a transformed heart motivated by our love for God. That's what it means to worship in spirit. Now this worship from the heart can express itself uh, in a couple of different ways. One of these ways is emotional passion. Right? Every single one of us experiences some form of emotion at any given moment. Every Sunday, we carry into this room the weight of emotion, whether it's good or bad. And we've witnessed a lot of loss recently at this church. We had somebody in our church named Sue Thomas pass away recently. This is a great member of our church, very valued. We miss her dearly. And so I can imagine many of you coming into this place with grief and heartache, Others of you may be in a season where you're just experiencing an abundance of the Lord's favor. So you come to church full of joy and gratitude. See, all of those emotions, good or bad, are offerings to God. And worship is the opportunity to offer them. Paul says in Romans 12, Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. And zeal and fervency here are an enthusiastic, intense, passionate, and emotional pursuit of the Lord, and it's got to involve our entire spirit. Another way that this worship expresses itself is through physical expression. Show of hands, how many of you grew up at a hand-raising church? Hand raisers unite. A few of you, okay, we need to work on hand-raising, you people, all right. How many of you did not grow up going to a hand-raising church? Oh, wow, I'm shocked. That's crazy. Okay, we will work on that, you guys. All right. Yeah, I know, I get it. A lot of you are internal processors. That's okay. And you know what? There's a comedian named Tim Hawkins that can help you with that. He's he's got, I I don't know what he calls it, but it's it's like a progression of hand-raising, right? So we come to church, music's rocking. We start out with the elbow flap. I've got the elbow flap. It's all right, we're working. We're getting warmed up. Then you, when you're ready, you go to carry the TV. We're going to carry the TV. You want to do big screen? We can do big screen TV. That's cool, too. Big screen TV. Hey, when you're ready, we can go to, uh, my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can, you can bring it out here. That's okay. <laughs> that goes really well into my favorite, the Mufasa. The Mufasa. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Then the lyrics to the bridge hit. And we go to goalpost, baby. Goalpost. Woo. Double heartburn back to goalpost. You know what I'm saying? So we'll get you there. It's okay. It's okay. But in all seriousness, okay. <laughs> 
We will get you there, okay? In all seriousness, you might be wondering, why do we raise our hands during worship? Well, my first answer would be because it's biblical. Consider this smattering of scriptures I have for you here. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm 63, verse 4. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Psalm 88, verse 9. Lift up your hands in the holy place. Bless the Lord. Psalm 134, verse 2. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Lamentations 341. Okay? So this is a good biblical precedent, but we might still ask, why do we do this? Because raising our hands in worship is a physical action of giving that offering to God. The emotions that we bring with us into worship spill over into our actions when we are met with truth and the Holy Spirit's guidance. See, maybe for you, lifting your hands to God is surrendering. Well, unfortunately, we have to bring today's message to a close. But my hope is that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to you. That's always our hope here at Hope for the Day. Did you know that these messages are recorded at Valley View Christian Church every Sunday? And if you're here in the Denver metropolitan area, we'd love to have you attend one of our Sunday services at Valley View Christian Church. We have Sunday service times at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And we'd love to have you come and attend one of those services and be with us. And I, Pastor Philip Holland, would love to meet you in person. And also remember that the Hope for the Day broadcast is available on your favorite podcast provider. So we look forward to having you again with us on Hope for the Day.